0: Then Peter said, Silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Then, taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking. And jumping, praising God. And when all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While the man held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. And when Peter saw this, he said to them, fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed, and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the Holy and Righteous One and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead, and we are witnesses of this. By faith, in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know has been made strong. It's Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him, as you can all see. Now, fellow Israelites, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders, but this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets, saying that his Messiah would suffer Repent then, turn to God, so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord, and that you may send the Messiah who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. Heaven must receive him until the time comes for God to restore everything, as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Let's pray. Father, I pray now that as we look at your word together, you would... Remind us and renew us with the truth of the power of the resurrection. Help us to apply that even to the areas where we feel like we're dying today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're in the Easter season, and uh, I've come to the understanding when it comes to the teachings of Easter, the teachings of Christianity, that the doctrine of the resurrection, that it's not that people don't know about it, it's not that people don't believe in it, it's just that we don't really believe in the power of the resurrection sometimes for the things that we're struggling with and for the issues that we face right here and right now. And so that's what I want to talk about today. We don't live in light of the victory that was won on that very first Easter morning. So. That's the challenge that I have for you. You know, traditionally the book of Acts is referred to as the book of the Acts of the Apostles, but some people say, well, it seems like it's the Holy Spirit that's actually doing the work here, so maybe we should refer to it as the Acts of the Holy Spirit. And then others say, well, actually, as Luke introduces the author of the book of Acts, Luke introduces the book of Acts, he refers, he says, in my first book, I, ref- I told you about all that Jesus began to do and teach. And the implication is that the book of Acts is the continuing work of Christ in our midst since Jesus has ascended into heaven and is sitting at the right hand of God. And we get a picture, really, in Acts chapter 3 of what that continuing work of Christ looks like. And I just want to show you three things from this. First of all, what we learn from this is the surprise of the resurrection, the surprise that gods know in our life, is always setting us up for a bigger yes. God's denial of certain things to us always means for us that God has something even better for us. And we see this just in Peter's interaction with the uh, beggar there at the temple. Peter and John are religious guys. They're going into the temple. They're meeting people. They're Jewish people. They're They're still devout Jews even though they've become apostles. And so they go into the the temple to... uh, to, to pray, to worship, and on their way out, there's a guy there who had been lame from birth, it tells us, and he's a career beggar, and, and in, in that day and age, they didn't really have a social safety net. The social safety net for Jews in that day and age was they'd position their disabled loved ones right by the entrance to the temple, and the devout people as they left the temple would have compassion on them and give them some money, and that might be enough to, to get them through the week. And so, so this was part of the establishment, part of the plan. This was basically how the, the uh, poor and the disabled got taken care of in that day and age. And so, so they're looking at Peter. So Peter and John take an interest in this particular guy who's been lame from birth, who's never walked a day in his life. And, and he looks at them and he, he has his expectations. It says, the man looked at, that gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. And so the guy's like, OK, maybe these guys are, are going to make a point and make a generous donation to me, and that'll be really nice. It'll take a lot of the pressure off. And then Peter says something that's really disappointing. He says, Silver and gold I do not have. And right then, I'm sure this guy shut him out. He's like, oh, no. What am I going to get from these guys? Just a bologna sandwich? Because they don't give money to, to, to uh, homeless people? What, what's the deal here? And then he learns that it's going to be even worse. He says... But what I have, I give you, and he starts preaching a sermon to the guy. And the guy's like, this is actually the worst. Now a guy's preaching to me. I just want money for lunch, and I'm getting a sermon instead. So this guy is experiencing momentary disappointment. He's not getting what he wants. He's not getting what he expected from these people who were supposed to be devout. And I, I find in my life and in the lives of people... As I talk to them, a lot of us are in that place from time to time. We're wondering why God hasn't answered prayers. We wonder why God's will for us isn't what we were hoping for. We wonder why good things that we want or good things that we're working for, good things that we're hoping for, God hasn't provided. And we're praying according to the Word. We're praying according to God's will. We we don't want, uh, it's not that we want self indulgent things. We want, the grace of God in our life. We want the blessings of God in our life. We want the healing of God in our life. And God seems to say no. We want to be able to progress in our career or progress in our family or, or be healed physically in some particular way. And, and we pray for that. We ask others to pray for that. We ask God to provide these things. And God says no. And we wonder what is God up to? But what we see from this, the pattern of the gospel, the pattern of the apostles dealing with people, the pattern of Jesus dealing with people, the pattern of God dealing with With you is all the time when God is saying no to you about a desire he's placed in your heart, it's because he's setting you up for a greater blessing. This guy doesn't have very high expectations. He's hoping for a nice donation. Peter says, silver and gold I do not have, but such as I have, give I thee in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. And then Peter takes him by the right hand helps him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong, and he had never walked before. He had never stood up before. But he jumped to his feet and he began to walk. Then he walked with him to the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. Imagine that. This man who had never walked before. This man who had never been able to stand up on his own. This man who had never been able to do anything except elicit sympathy and beg for bread is walking and jumping and praising God. Indeed, Peter didn't give him money, but that's because he was giving him so, something so much greater. That's the story, ultimately, of the life of Christ. Remember, his disciples and, and the first century Jews all had their hopes that Jesus was going to defeat the Romans and set himself up as, as the king in Jerusalem. And then Jesus disappointed him, Right? He got crucified. He died. He was rejected. The Romans defeated him instead. And they thought, wow, he's much less than we thought he was. But the story of Easter is Jesus is much more than they thought he was. And the story of Easter for you and for me and our disappointments and our unanswered prayers and our broken dreams and our pain and in our loss is not that God is less than we thought he was, not that he's doing less for us than we thought he was, but he's actually up to something greater, up to something more. And it's our job, believing in the power of the resurrection, to believe that for ourselves, to believe that in our disappointment, to believe that in the face of our unanswered prayer, to believe that in the face of our questions. That's what faith in the resurrection means. That's the heart of the story of Jesus. The second thing I want you to see here, the second surprise is the surprise of grace. So this, this event, this healing, attracts a crowd. Because you know Jesus went around, and you read the Gospels, and Jesus didn't do these kinds of things in Jerusalem. He did them out in the boondocks. He did them out in Galilee and in Nazareth and other places like that. And, uh, and people had only heard about this by reputation. But now here's Peter right in the center of the city, healing this guy. And everyone's like, wow, we know this guy. He's been sitting there for 10 years and he, he was supposed to be lame and now he's walking and jumping and praising God. Something is going on. And I love Peter's response. See, Peter's a little bit jaded, honestly. Peter's been, for three years, Peter has, has seen the lame walk. He's seen the blind see. He's, he's seen the, the lepers cleanse. He's fed the 5,000s with five loaves and two two fish. He's seen water... Are turned into wine, he's seen all this kind of stuff, so he's not that impressed by a miracle at this point. But all these people in Jerusalem are seeing it for the first time, and they, they gather around, they want to hear what's going on, and, and Peter's response to them is, why does this surprise you? What's the big deal? But what Peter's getting at is, what's really surprising, what's really amazing, is not that this one lame man is walking, but it's, the grace of God and the forgiveness of God and the mercy of God. Because then he goes in to say, do you guys have any idea what just happened in Jerusalem? Do you have any idea what just happened just a few weeks ago? And, and Peter really lays into him. Look at verse 13. It says, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I want to m- make this clear to you, all of you Israelites. The God that you say you worship glorified his servant Jesus. And what did you do? You handed him over to be killed. He's saying, do you guys understand what a colossal error you made? This God who you're supposedly worshiping here in the temple, this God who you supposedly believe in, this God who you're supposedly devoted to, he sent his servant Jesus here and all you did was kill him? And then Peter goes on to say, you disowned him before Pilate, though Pilate had decided to let him go. It's even worse than that. He died on a Roman cross. He died by the Roman means of execution. And it might be convenient for you guys to want to blame the Romans for this, but Pilate wanted to let him go. But you disowned him. He goes on to say, you you disowned or denied the Holy and Righteous One and asked that a murderer be released to you. You guys are religious. You guys are moral. You guys think you're, you're pillars of all that's right and good. And here, you disowned the only holy and righteous one that ever lived, and asked that a murderer be released to you. You see the confusion? He's saying that's what should surprise you. A look in your own heart should surprise you. A look at your own corruption, a look at your own errors, a look at at your own deviance is what should really surprise you. Then he says, I like this, verse 15, you killed the author of life. The actual creator of all things, the source of all life, the son of God. You killed him, but God raised him from the dead. Peter's saying, what should really surprise you is the fact that God sent his son. God sent the Messiah. You say you're waiting for the Messiah. You say you're devoted to God. And yet, instead of worshiping him, instead of recognizing him, you disowned him. You preferred that a murderer be released to your Messiah. You, the, the Roman governor is better than you. He wanted to let Jesus go. You insisted that he be killed. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. So Peter is laying into them and, and reminding them what the cross means, what the death of Jesus means, what the death of Jesus is saying about all of them and how far they really are from knowing God. But what strikes me about this passage, if you're familiar with with Luke, Acts, the, the the author of Luke also wrote Acts, is that Peter here, as he's talking to these people about their deviance, as he's talking to, to them about the way they failed the Messiah, what Peter is doing is he's using the very same language that applied to him. Remember? He says, You disowned him before Pilate, you disowned the holy and righteous one. What does that echo? Who's the most famous denier of Jesus ever? Who was the most famous disowner of Jesus ever? It was this very same Peter, remember? Peter himself had to come to grips with the fact that he disowned Jesus just like they did, that he denied Jesus just like they did. Peter had to come to grips with the fact that he was as flawed and as warped as everybody else in the picture. And that ultimately, Jesus didn't die to rescue them. Jesus died to redeem him. And what really surprised Peter was the fact that the Savior, the Messiah, who he followed for all those years, who he failed and who he denied, actually was gracious to him and redeemed him and brought him back. That's the real surprise of the gospel. That's the message of the cross for all of us. Because what the cross tells you, what the cross tells me, is we're actually more broken and more flawed and more sinful than we'd ever been willing to admit. But God is more gracious and more merciful than we ever dared dream. I think there's a reason that God let Peter's story unfold the way it, it it did and why God used Peter of all people to become that apostle who was that brave witness of the gospel in in the early church in the first days of the church and then as the church continued to establish itself because Peter was fully in touch with his own failure he was fully in touch with his own faithlessness he was fully in touch with his own brokenness and yet Because of that, he was fully in touch with God's grace. He was fully in touch with God's mercy. And he was fully in touch with God's unconditional love for him. See, anytime we truly preach the gospel, we can't do it dualistically like, okay, there's good people over here and bad people over here. Because what the cross tells all of us is that all of us are in need of God's grace. All of us are in need of God's mercy. And all of us can have God's mercy if we'll just turn to him. That was the message of the life of Peter because when Peter thought there was no hope for him, Jesus came and restored him. And that's the message of the cross for everybody. So Peter wants the people not to be surprised by the fact that a lame man is walking, but by the fact that a dead guy is talking, that the one who denied Jesus is now the great witness of Jesus. And to be a Christian at its heart means to embrace this about ourselves. Christians aren't morally or spiritually superior people who go around telling everybody else to get their life together to look like us. But in essence, to be a Christian is to embrace and accept our own moral and spiritual bankruptcy and recognize that a bailout has been provided but it was an expensive one. It cost the author of life his life. So that's the heart of the gospel. As you personally understand the gospel for yourself, in these terms, you'll be able to share the gospel with others in compelling terms, just like Peter did. So so we see the surprise of... Grace, we see the surprise of God's delay, meaning something much greater than ours. And then finally, the amazing promise that's contained in all this. Obviously, it's pretty spectacular. I mean, I wish I could walk down the streets of New York and every time I saw a lame man or someone in a wheelchair just, just uh, help them up and, and help them to walk and say, you're, you're not going to be needing that wheelchair anymore. That, that would be a pretty impressive witness. But that really wasn't the heart of the witness, because for the apostles, like I said, they were accustomed to doing these kinds of things. This, is, this was par for the course as long as they had been with Jesus. What's really significant here is what all of this points to and what is culminated in, and secured by the resurrection. It's a picture of the continuing work of Christ. And for for Peter, he says, well, this is what I've been doing for the last three years, and I'm just continuing to do it because Jesus is still with me. But let's go back to the miracles of Christ. If you're familiar with the life of Christ and the miracles of Christ, think about those for a moment. You know, Jesus did all these miracles, but they were all of a very specific kind. Jesus didn't do magic tricks like magicians do today. You know, He never pulled a rabbit out of a hat. He never sawed a woman in two. He didn't go around pulling coins out of little kids' ears. Those weren't the kinds of magic tricks that Jesus did, right? Jesus always did miracles that gave us pictures of the renewal of all things. He touched a leper, and the leper was cleansed. He helped a lame man up, and the lame man could walk. He he touched a blind person and their eyes were open. He fed 5,000 hungry people with five loaves and two fish. He brought wine to a party. He did all these things that show us what the kingdom of God is going to be like, what what it is that he's ultimately come to accomplish, what the restore, restoration of all things ultimately is going to be. And then... The victory of Jesus was ultimately accomplished when he suffered and died on the first Good Friday, was rejected even by his Father in heaven and by the very people he came to save, and then three days later, he rose again from the dead and conquered death. The story of Easter. That's the the inbreaking of the kingdom of heaven. But that's just getting known. That's just the pre- precursor to the renewal of all things. Look at verse... 21 it says heaven must receive him till the time comes for God to restore everything as he promised through his holy prophets long long ago see right now what the Bible tells us is one part of creation has been finally and ultimately restored and that is the life of Jesus the body of Jesus and Everything else is only partially restored. I mean, this is a beautiful story, and I'm sure the resurrection, or excuse me, the healing of this lame man was a big deal to him and to his mom and to his brothers and to a lot of people. They were impressed by it, but let's, let's get real here. That, that guy eventually got old and became lame again, and, and his time was up, and he passed away like everybody else who was in this story. So he, didn't receive, he received partial healing, he received temporal healing, he received momentary healing to make a point, but not ultimate healing there through Peter in that moment. That was just the deposit, just the, the first fruits. And what the Bible tells us, our mission in life here is to continue the work of Christ, to continue the work of blessing others, to continue the work of helping others in any way that God enables us to do that whether that's feeding the hungry, whether that's comforting the afflicted, whether that's providing companionship to the lonely, whether that's sharing with someone how the death and resurrection of Jesus can be the gateway, understanding that and believing that can be the gateway to them experiencing the grace and love of God for themselves. See, most of the time, most of us can't make the lame walk, but we can... Help people in the ways that God has blessed us, in the ways that God has empowered us to offer restoration, to to restore beauty, to offer healing in different ways, and and that's the mission of the church right now. Whether we're we're just helping a a, a kid learn to read, or we're helping a lonely person get through a day through a conversation, or we're helping someone who's struggling with uh, feelings of alienation, understand the love of God in Christ, all of those things are, are ways we share the power of the resurrection around us. And, and what the Bible says is, is every time we do that, by the grace of God, we're showing people or offering to people a little foretaste of the restoration of the kingdom of heaven, just as Jesus did when he made the lame man walk when he made the blind man see. And what the Bible promises us is that everything we do in his name and on his behalf and through his grace is ultimately going to last forever. It's ultimately going to find its way into the perf- perfected restored kingdom of God. You know, it's very interesting 1 Corinthians thir- 15. You might be familiar with it it's, it's the extended exposition of the meaning of the resurrection and And Paul spends 57 verses in in the chapter of 1 Corinthians 15 talking about what the resurrection of Jesus Christ means and what it did for everybody. And then he gets the very last verse of 1 Corinthians 15, and he has a one-verse application of the truth of the resurrection, and it's simply this. Therefore, my brothers, stand firm, let nothing move you, and always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. So what he's saying is, in light of the resurrection, all of your work on God's behalf, all of your sacrifices on God's behalf, all of your service on God's behalf, all of your giving on God's behalf, all of your outreach on God's behalf is ultimately going to bear fruit. It's ultimately going to make a difference. It's ultimately going to make an impact. It's ultimately going to last forever because it's part and parcel of, of the resurrection work of our risen Christ. And when the time comes for him to restore everything, and he comes down here, your work of beautifying your city, your work of comforting the afflicted, your work of of healing or relieving the stress of, of those who are hurting is going to be part of that kingdom. That's the promise of the gospel. And so we look forward to that day when the blind will see and the lame will dance and the mute will sing and the poor will feast and we'll be invited into that kingdom where there's no more death or mourning or crying or shame because the old order of things has passed away. That's the promise of the resurrection for you and for me right now. Let's pray. Father, make this real to us. May we know the power of the resurrection, the working of your mighty strength, which you exerted in Christ when you raised him from the dead. May we know that here and now and live in light of that power. We pray in Jesus.